The Alabama Crops Report podcast, your trusted information source for Alabama agriculture. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Alabama Crops Report podcast. I'm Caitlin Kessheimer, field crops entomologist. I'm Scott Graham, extension entomologist. And I'm Amanda Shearer, the only extension plant pathologist here today. And that's why you're sitting on the other side of the room, Amanda. <laughs> yes, they've kind of put me in a corner here. I feel very separated from the bug people right now. So just a little behind baseball for our uh, our listeners out there. The kind of way we're set up in our studio here is kind of like a two-by-one triangle where typically we have our two guests on one side, or two hosts, excuse me, on one side, and our one guest on the other side in what we call the hot seat. So today we've got our entomologist in, in the guest side and Amanda is in the hot seat. What we've kind of been starting to do is asking for a fun fact from our, our guests. So oh, give us man. a fun fact about yourself. Yeah, see, I don't. I listened to Eddie McGriff's one for last week, and he has a really good fun fact. I don't have that good of a fun fact, but um, I heard Audrey kind of talk about her hobbies. Um, one thing, I, I'm very crafty, and so I do like to learn like new crafts, so kind of like Audrey. Um, but instead of pottery, I do crocheting, and I actually like to make little crochet animals that are called origami. So instead of origami, it's armigami for little animals and crocheting. Oh, I had no idea. I would never be able to do that because I am the most impatient person. So learning something like that, I've tried several times, and I still have a crochet hook, but I don't use it. Yeah, probably the toughest part is just persevering through it, and your hands start to hurt really bad from using that one hook. So... So and, and crocheting is, is for lack of a better term, knitting, right? I, I mean, there are different terms. Like, yeah. yeah, so with knitting, you have two knitting needles. Mm-hmm. So, you know, go, knit one, purl two, right? And then crochet hook is you just have one hook that you're constantly yep. using. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if you were to say that probably in a, a different group of people that are in Michaels, they'd probably get really mad if you called crocheting knitting. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind the next time I'm in. You said, what was the name of the place? Michaels. The next time I'm at Michaels, I'll make sure not to talk to him about that. It's like when we get mad when people say, I don't know, spiders or insects or something. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's a it's a personal thing. You know, when, I, when, I was, when I was little, we played croquet in my grandmother's backyard, but that's a completely different animal there. Yeah. Well, and a little bit easier. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so you can hear us chatting today, and you'll notice we haven't introduced any special guests because we are here to kind of do a a pest roundup and a crop update. Um, In the middle of July, we've had a lot of rain, and so we kind of wanted to just talk about what we're seeing in terms of of insects and, and diseases, Amanda, and then also what to expect in these coming weeks as we kind of enter into to late season for some of these crops. All right, so I'll, I'll throw out there that we start with corn. Uh, that's a crop that I don't have responsibilities in. And I guess, Amanda, you don't either, do you? Uh, that's why I'm but, here. But that, that's the one that we're getting the closest to start harvesting and things. So sure. what, what's going on with corn? Yeah, a lot of our corn is, is ranging from, I have some later planted corn that's just now silking. We have some corn that's already reached dense stage. And in terms of pest pressure, we're kind of out of that danger zone of, of stink bugs, which were a problem in the central part of the state this year, and, and wet weather. Um, if we had, which we did, wet weather early in the season, we can see some issues with, with younger and seedling corn. But for the most part, as long as weather stays dry, 
once we start harvesting, I wouldn't be too concerned about that affecting corn. We seem to be on par for acreage and timing with corn throughout the state. And so I anticipate we'll have similar yields and numbers that we had in 2020. So all in all, this wet weather is not going to impact insect populations and insect damage in corn. What about, uh, you know, things like smut? It, and that, that is related, right, to a lot of times stink bug damage, right? Yeah, and, and things like uh, fumonacin, mm -hmm. which we will probably start seeing that as we, we get closer to harvest and start looking at that grain. Um, with this wet weather, too, as it splashes these pathogens around and through the fields, um, those wounds created by stink bugs that you may not even know they're there because they are incredibly sneaky. Um, you may get docked when you take your grain um, to the grain bin at the end of the year. And so that's something to keep in mind. We've we've passed kind of the window for fungicide applications. Um, and, and a lot of people were putting out fungicides along with some pyrethroids for stink bugs. But right now, what's done is done. If you you start seeing those banana ears and corn then it's you know it's a little bit too late but we certainly have time for more disease to accumulate in in ears before we get completely dried out enough to harvest and you know I, I've talked to some folks I was actually talking to a guy today about uh, he was wanting to know what he could do in the soybeans to give his farmers an, an opportunity to harvest their corn in a couple of weeks without having to worry about stink bugs in the soybeans and give himself you know 10 14 days and he was saying he thinks we're set up for some phenomenal corn yields with all the rain that we've gotten this year yeah we've had rain at the right time and as long as you were able to get in the ground planted and up without too many issues i know some growers had replants and floods and everything but with this weather i mean yeah we should see some really really good yields um, to make up for some of the decrease we've seen over the last couple of years yeah, hopefully we can just get get a break in a lot of this weather we've been seeing across the state to actually get the combines in the field when it's time and get the corn out. Yeah, I think part of the issue is, you know, we may see increase in, in disease and insects, but a lot of it is just the ability to get into fields to make applications uh, when we need them, whether it is weed control or, or insects or diseases. Yeah, that's probably the biggest thing just across all crops is the weather and the rain and trying to get in the fields between that. I know we're in our trials in the southwest part of the state in Fairhope, they're under a flood advisory and they've been under it, I think, for the last like week or so. And it's still going into this week. And it's just been a real challenge to get out there to control those early season weeds, especially in cotton. And then that's going to affect when you start having to make applications in peanuts. We're right at that window where it's where we recommend producers starting between 30 and 45 days and then trying to stay on that 14-day spray schedule. But with these rain events, it's a real challenge for them. And if I remember from a previous lifetime where I worked in cotton, weeds like, for example, silverleaf nightshade can host insects that can then move into cotton and be a problem. And so it could be this trickle-down effect where you can't get in to get your herbicide applications in, and then it harbors more pests that can then damage cotton. Yep, yep, absolutely. Pig weeds are one. They're a, a good host for uh, plant bugs and cotton. Uh, you know, the, some of these grasses are hosts, and this we're thinking probably more in peanuts and soybeans, but some of these grass weeds that we have in the fields uh, have fall armyworms, which, which you're familiar with, uh, Caitlin, and they move in and 
Thankfully, most of the time, that's the grass strain, and it's a little bit easier to control than the corn strain uh, with, with just pyrethroids and things. Uh, we've heard some talk out of the Mid-South about some failures earlier this this summer uh, with that. It seems like that, that talk's quieted down. I don't. Did you ever hear anything from pasture producers? Yeah, we never had any issues here in Alabama that I'm aware of. That's not to say there aren't some, but I think the issue is you mentioned, you know, grasses and armyworms, is we do know that fall armyworms are attracted to the most lush, irrigated, you know, hay fields, home lawns. If you're a homeowner and you have armyworms in your, you know, nice green Bermuda grass, and with all this rain, we end up with a lot of green green pastures around the state. And so um, people who are managing hay fields will need to make sure they're scouting and making applications because then those armyworms can, you know, file on through and move to other crops as well. Well, it's good to hear from the professional. I don't have to worry about my yard. <laughs> <laughs> I already had spittle bugs tear up my yard earlier this year. So... But yeah, you know, I, I was talking with a, a, a scout yesterday who is in Monroe County, and he sent me some pictures. And I mean, it's unbelievable how much rain they've gotten down there. And you know, he said his farmer said, you know, if you could find every stink bug in the world, we can't get in the field for a week at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just we're at that time of the year where it's it's difficult to know when to pull the trigger on a, on an insecticide application because even if you're not in these, you know, high rain situations. It, it seems like there's just storms blowing up and how long was was the insecticide there before it rained and things like that. It, it's just a tough time right now to farm. Yeah, it sounds like Mother Nature is, is making the decision for you, yep. you know, not allowing us to pull the trigger. And then rain fastness, too, is important, is is getting out applications with enough time to do their jobs before they get washed away by what seems like several inches of rain in each of these events. I know down in Escambia County, we got some reports of six inches of rain in, in a really short period of time. And so that's not going to do anyone any good in terms of, of timely applications. Yeah, and that's, that's an issue also in the wiregrass. Some of our peanut trials are in a good couple inches of water. They were last week in Headland, and they got two inches just in one night. And then it was supposed to rain that afternoon after we left. And, yeah, rain fastness with fungicides is, is critical, too. And, you know, when did you get that on, and then when did the rain come in? And, you know, we're already having a somewhat active hurricane season. We've already had a couple tropical storms come through. Luckily for Alabama, we missed most of the last one. I think we might have gotten some outer bands in the southeast part of the state. But, yeah, Mother Nature is definitely throwing at the, the farmers this year. So, Amanda, my limited disease knowledge is that they thrive in this kind of hot, humid, moist environment, right? So with all this weather are we seeing increases in diseases? What do people need to look out for as we kind of move through the rest of the season? Yeah, basically, you hit the nail on the head there. With your foliar fungal diseases, they're all driven by hot, humid, wet weather. Um, so basically, that is kind of what all of Alabama is under right now, except maybe in Tennessee Valley. Um, but the main thing is, is for peanuts, we are starting to see some early incidences of early leaf spot. Um, I've seen some tomato-spotted wilt virus also, which is, you know, not controlled by fungicides, but it is out there. Um, So maybe Scott has some suggestions for thrips control for that. But in terms of the foliar fungal diseases, um, early leaf spot is starting right now, and then that'll kind of merge into late leaf spot um, a little bit later in the season. Um, It can start showing up as early as late July to as late as mid-August. But normally when late leaf spot comes in, if your 
peanuts do not have a good fungicide spray program, they can become severely defoliated. Um, and so the pressure for this is only going to get worse and increase. And so one of the things I'm telling producers, definitely don't um, skip out on fungicide applications this year or cheap out on fungicide applications. Be aggressive in your management plans because it's only going to increase as we're coming into the summer for the pressure for these diseases. So it's, it's worth the money you're spending when you get your yield at the end of the season is what you're saying? For sure, especially with these high crop prices, definitely. And same thing with cotton, with uh, target spot and aerolate mildew, they're also humid wet weather diseases. And with those, um, especially if you're in the southwest part of the state with all this rain, if your cotton's getting close to that first week of bloom or is at that first week of bloom, definitely put out a preventative fungicide for target spot. You know, Amanda, you kind of hit on something there that is really true most of the state in that, you know, we've got cotton anywhere from, from, you know, Pinhead Square to the second, third week of bloom. And I even talked to a farmer yesterday who still has some cotton in the one to two true leaf stage. So we've just got a just just a big mix of uh, cotton maturity out there right now. And, you know, I know for stink ball or for, for insects, you know, during the squaring season, we're really not concerned about stink bugs. We don't start worrying about them until we start getting some bowls in the field. So we're scouting differently. Sometimes we're spraying a little different based on that. With diseases, you know, we talk about the first week of bloom. Is that kind of a, based more on the calendar date or the stage of the crop? And are we, are we maybe not spraying a certain fungicide and cotton that's at Pinhead Square versus what we're spraying at the first week of bloom or second week of bloom. Yeah, so for your foliar diseases of cotton, uh, for the we kind of just say the first week of bloom just as a general like growth stage as to when to start thinking about applying your fungicides. So you can either start, especially in the southwest part of the state, I definitely wouldn't base it on scouting just because conditions are so conducive right now to really get preventative applications starting at either first or third week of bloom, depending kind of where we are in the season. So you kind of have to judge it based on you know, where your field is and what you're looking at. So you get that first preventative fungicide application on it first or third week of bloom and then follow up with a second one at either third or fifth week of bloom, depending on when you start. Now, if you're in other parts of the state, we can just kind of do it based on scouting. And you really want to ramp up your scouting, you know, at first week of bloom, because that's when the canopy has really started to close, especially between rows and your airflow movement isn't as good. And so that coupled with the hot, humid weather just makes it really conducive for both target spot and aerolate mildew. Yeah, so that's when we talk to folks about, you know, scouting for insects. Where every time we're walking through a field, we're always observing for other things and, and signs of diseases are, are just like that. We're, we're looking for those symptoms while we're scouting through, and maybe we're scouting for diseases in a time like this, uh, but we're always trying to be observant when we're walking through the field. You know, we're, when we are pretty behind, if you look at the USDA's, uh, their report for last week, it says our five-year average is 30% of our crop is setting bowls. So in that first, second, third week of bloom, and, and right now they're saying only 17%. And I don't, I don't know that I've really observed that much riding uh, around the state the last week. Uh, you know, we're, we're pretty far behind right now as far as cotton. Yeah, both cotton and peanut just got a late start just because we had, it was kind of slow to warm up this year. And so that's just a general trend throughout the state. Plus, we had a lot of rain, you know, in spring as well. And so that delayed plantings getting into the field. Um, but at least for peanuts, even though we got that late start, I think we're still in a pretty good spot for peanuts. Yeah, if you remember a lot of parts of the state, 
you know, we went from too wet to plant to too dry to get emergence. It seemed like overnight almost. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. Yeah, this is my first experience with flash droughts here in Alabama that can happen mm -hmm. very, very quickly. You think you have a ton of rain, but then very quickly it turns too dry. And I feel like this is a very depressing podcast. We're just talking about all this doom and gloom. Are there any good things to come of this rain, you guys? Well, I'll just say that the cotton that is getting a lot of rain looks really healthy and green right now, despite all the challenges, at least in my trials. Um, it just might be a little hard to, to get out there to do some things, but for the most part, especially in Bruton, it's loving, loving the rain down there. <laughs> I guess the farmers and scouts are getting to spend a little more time with their family than they're used <laughs> right. to this time of the year because they can't get in the fields. It's one of those things where I, I had a, a great uncle who farmed for... 50, 60 years, and you know he always said, "If we're rain, if it's raining, we must need it, and you never wish away water." So you know you hate to to say you don't want the rain because there's going to be a point where you do need the rain. You know, so if, if that's just kind of what I've always tried to say, if we're getting it, we must need it. Yeah, it's too bad we don't have uh, Dr. Brenda Ortiz on here to talk about irrigation because I'm sure that there's some producers saving on irrigation right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I like to talk about soybeans real quick. You know, we got a lot of late beans out there, not just beans behind wheat. We've just got some beans that were planted late for whatever reason. And, you know, we, we thought we were going to get away from this red banded stink bug this year with all the cold weather that we had last year. Uh, but I've been talking over the last couple of weeks with uh, several different folks in, in the Black Belt, and they're starting to pick up low numbers of red banded stink bugs. If you're not familiar with that insect, it's a... It's called neotropical. It, it comes from Central America. Uh, it doesn't have a true hibernation period, if you will, uh, like most of our insects do. So it's it's active all during the winter and the spring. And and being that it comes from warmer climates, it doesn't overwinter very well uh, here. So maybe you know, kind of in on the coast, but once we get very far off the coast, really doesn't survive the winters very well. It got very cold this winter. I thought we, we killed the red banded stink bug back, but it looks like we didn't. So if you've got late planted beans in particular, we really need to be out looking for those when it dries up. Once we start putting on uh, some small pods, those, those red banded stink bugs are gonna come in. And, and uh, I was talking to a guy today who was wanting to go ahead as soon as it dries up put a spray on he's starting to find low numbers but you know last year they had situations where the beans never would dry down uh, they stayed green forever because those red banded stink bugs just kept feeding and kept doing damage and kept kept delaying the crops so that that's something we need to think about not necessarily current weather wise uh but but you know we had kind of talked this winter and, and spring about i don't think we gotta worry about red banded stink bugs well there's another one where, you know, you ask your entomologist in the winter, what's the bugs going to be like? And he says, I don't know. <laughs> and that's we why. We look into our crystal ball and it's not always correct. It's, it's always cloudy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so that ends our time today for the Alabama Crops Report podcast. I really enjoyed talking with uh, both of you guys, Caitlin and Scott, about just pest diseases and insects in the state. And you did a great job in the hot seat today, Amanda. Thank you, with my fun fact about myself. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, well, I enjoyed it, guys. And uh, as always, we want to thank our listeners for tuning in and listening. We really appreciate you all for, uh, for joining us every week and, and for the feedback that we've been getting over the last couple of weeks. As always, if any of us can ever be of any help, please uh, don't hesitate to reach out and let us know. The Alabama Crops Report podcast is a production of the Alabama Cooperative Extension System and is sponsored by Alabama Ag Credit.